The Second Treaty of Burt's Treaty of Hawks and Hawking by Edmund Burt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Second Treaty. Wherein the Ostringer is taught to reclaim his hawk from any ill condition. Chapter 1. How to make a hawk hood well that will not abide the sight of the hood, but bite at it, and with her feet strike at thy hand and hood. Bait, shriek, hang by the heels, and will not stand upon the fist. And this shall be done within forty-eight hours, with less than forty baits. The greatest motive that set my thoughts work to find out a secret, whereby a hawk should be brought to like of that which she did most detestably hate, was that in my hearing it hath been often and many times said by many gentlemen of which some would say they would give forty shillings some would give five pounds and some other would give ten pounds that their hawk would hood well many experiments i tried wherewith i could have hooded such a hawk well which i will not publish because they brought as much ill to the hawk in some other kind as the well-hooding should profit them. At length I thought of feeding a hawk through the hood, cutting the hole for a beak very wide. It is but the marring of a hood. I would have the hole so wide as when I did hold it by the tassel, she should not very easily, when it was laid upon the meat, feed through it. I would continue feeding her so three or four days, never offering in all that time to put it on. But now that she hath grown familiar with the hood, all fear thereof forgotten, which she would show by her bold feeding therein, and that she should make no show of disliking my putting it over the meat, and my taking it back. When I found her thus securely feeding, and her head in the hood, I would then gently and lightly raise my hand, a very small motion will serve, and so leave the hood upon her head. Take heed you give her no dislike by the sudden putting it on, and by the too high raising your hand in this beginning with her, and have as great care that she may be thoroughly emboldened with the hood before you offer to put it on. With this practice, putting on her hood and pulling it off, oftentimes in her feeding, you shall effect her taking the hood to your desire. Provided always your practice be with patience and leisure. For if you shall pop it on suddenly and with haste, you may thereby put her in mind that thereby she took her first offense. You cannot wrong her by any other means. Remember also to leave her with the hood upon her head when she is feeding. This I did privately deliver to some of my friends by word of mouth above twenty years since and some did carefully follow my direction, and did not fail, but brought their hawks to such perfection as when she was most discontented with a stump of a partridge wing, he would readily hood her. Others whose patience could not endure the time, whilst they were thoroughly emboldened with the hood, would feed securely and gently in it, would be offering to put it on, and then what through her fear and his hasty carrying his hand, which increased her fear, brought her to that pass that she would not feed any more through the hood, but with such a caudal fear as that she would not be hooded, 
but was then ill as ever she was, and so much worse, because he had now bobbed her with this trick, whereby she might have been taught. Swollen big with desire to effect this by some more ready and easy means, which might more speedily be done and truly performed, I had an imagination of this course, which here I will deliver, by which means I brought five hawks and tarsals to as good perfection as I could desire in the time of keeping my house in chamber, being at that time very weak, and all of them were as much disordered as hawks could be, and I delivered them as gently hooding as could be desired. After they came into me, and that I had bestowed them upon the fist of one of my people, I kept them upon the fist. That day they came into me, and that night they were truly watched, after the former manner of watching my hawks, both man and hawk, to walk, or at the least the hawk to walk. So soon as it was fair and light, I did mail them up in a handkerchief. I pray you understand thus much, that it is not good she should be fed before she be mailed, making it very close about the shoulders and body. I would not mail up the tops of her flying feathers, lest I should thereby mar the web of the feather. Her legs, they were laid along under her train, but to save her train from breaking any feather, because her legs, and it must be tied together, I plait a large handkerchief six times double, and lay that upon her legs under her train, by which means, by binding her up, you cannot bruise or crack a feather. There is nothing but all safety in this course. My hawk thus mailed up, I lay her upon a cushion, and carry her up and down under my arm. She is now fast, she cannot rebel. I offer the hood, whereat, although she strike and strive to stir, she cannot. So soon as she is quiet, holding the hood by the tassel, I gently put it on. She cannot forbid it. Thus I follow her, hooding and unhooding. I lay her upon a table. I walk by her. I put it on and pull it off very often. And if I shall be made acquainted with anything that she shall not endure, I will then present her with that. Say she will not abide the fire, or not the blowing or stirring thereof. I walk up and down before the fire, which she should hear blow, and see it stirred and rattled together. She cannot bait nor hurt herself. And when she shall patiently lie still, and find that it doth not hurt her, she will be the less afraid thereof, and in all this time I lose nothing about my other practice. It may be she is coy and fearful of dogs. I lay her upon the ground with her cushion, where she shall for that time have familiarity enough with them. Lying so, walking by her, I ply her with a hood, and so I continue until night. When night cometh, I unmail her. I have had a hawk thus mailed, that in a winter's day she hath not made a mute. Admit she doth not mute. It is great odds she shall. She foweth none but a few of her small feathers about her tool, which are presently washed with a sponge without any hurt. When she is now unmailed and sitteth upon my fist, she will take the hood by candlelight, as well as she did when she was mailed, which it may be she would do before she came into me, 
for many hawks will hood by candlelight that will not abide the sight of it in the day. But for your better instruction, it must be withholding it gently by her beak, which she must be as willing to put into the hood as you are to put it on. I pray you let your own reason guide you thus far. Hastiness to hood her when she would not be hooded brought her to this imperfection. Therefore keep you as far from that as may be, and in this practice to do it with as much leisure as may be. It is not to be believed how the least hasty motion will put her in mind of what she had formerly met with. I watched her this night with often using the hood, and whether it did sit still or walk, I would be sure she should not be idle. Believe it, all this night she will take the hood as well as you can desire, but the question is for the morning. Therefore I would be without fail walking abroad in the morning before day, and then and there follow my practice, when it may be I shall not find him contrary my desire. As I feed often in the night, so now I fail not, lest hunger should make him stir. If he be not coy of the hood at all or a little before the sun rises, if they be carefully handled, they are forever made well hooding. I never had any but one tarsal, but with the night and day before were made very gentle to the hood. Only that one tarsal I was driven to mail up again the second day. I must let none of them all have their full rest that night, but when they are thus made, they must be followed, for fear they fall again. Be sure to be abroad early in the morning, following her with the hood. I hope this is sensibly to be affected by any man. But if my hawk turn her head from the hood, I patiently attend her by patience, holding my hood to her head, and with the turning my hand, set her right and sit to take it. But if she will be wild or angry, she cannot understand me. He that will use violence with a horse, already distempered, and with spur or chain, add fury to fury, may perhaps at that time be deceived of his expectation. So he that shall deal with a man in the time of his impatience may peradventure at that time want of reasonable hearing. But give the man time until that humor be spent, and so thy horse and hawk, and they will all mildly attend thee. If your hawk be distempered, and you know no reason why, use her not otherwise, but with a loving respect, and as soon as may be, make a peaceable love and reconcilement between you. There is no indifferent hooding to be looked for by this manner, of using her, for she must do it well with the highest degree. Hereof I conclude, and so I proceed to the recovery of all other ill conditions and first for a hawk that will royal and house. End of chapter 1 Chapter 2 How to bring a hawk that will royal and seek for poultry at a house to good perfection and staidness, and how to get that hawk love in whom an ill-keeper hath bred such carelessness. If a man should deliver among many ostringers, and such that would scorn that any man should exceed them in knowledge, that there were a man that would and could recover a hawk to good perfection, that were plentifully furnished with all faults, and wanted no ill condition, 
I know they would laugh at him, and say it were a lie, and impossible, but I avouch it, and am warranted through my practiced experience, not to blush or care for what they say, but this I advise them that stand affected to company and good fellowship, to have care how to order their hawks, for now their masters shall find that diligence will affect anything, and not using careful diligence, there is no good to be gotten at their hawks' hands. But now, to make proof of my art, and for thy instruction, good friend, you are to know, you are to deal with hawks that have been ill-handled, not to begin with them as with hawks from the cage. For she will royal in house, which at the first did come by her not coming, and her not coming was want of love to her keeper. For if she had so loved her keeper, as that she would have come to him, he had been out of his wits, if he would have let her alone to royal and house. I cannot otherwise think that having this fault, but she is withal wild and ramish, which might be a second means to make her travel in this sort. Therefore, your first course must be by watching and manning to make her very gentle and familiar, and in that time you must labor to get her a good stomach. It is not short meals alone breed a hungry desire in your hog, but continual carriage, castings, and often a cleanly feeding, with clean and light meat drawn through water, but after drier meat, for if the hawk shall be fat and in grease, when she doth come unto thee, your care must be the more for her diet. For if she want meat wherewith to carry away her grease, the breaking of her grease will take away from her stomach, and her grease too fast broken, and will not only make her sickly, but truly sick, and kill her, or breed diseases such as she had as good be dead. Therefore let her not fast, nor do not overfeed which fault is as dangerous as fasting. For with her meat in her mutes, she will spend more grease than she can bring up with her casting. Her grease gone, and your hawk made gentle. Your hawk will quickly show a good stomach. Let not your hasty desire hinder your good conclusion herein. When your hawk has come to a good stomach and perfect gentleness, as I did reclaim my sore ramish hawk, calling her to the fist out of the hood from the fist of another man, in manner as the long-winged hawk is lured, you must observe the same course, only differing herein, for you must call her to a catch or lure, and thereunto take her as the long-winged hawk is used, wherewith thou must make her much in love with thy sweet and mild using her, and in doing thus it will make her love thee better than ever she loved house. Let her please herself unto the catch. Offer not to meddle with it, but let her freely and peaceably enjoy it. And when she is pluming upon it, feed her with bits of good meat from thy hand. It will make her look for that sweetness not only then when she is upon the catch, but it will likewise make her love thee when she is upon the quarry. If thou shalt ply her thus with thy hand, it will bring her to such a pass as she will readily jump to your fish from the catch, and the sweet and often using hereof will make her leave the quarry in such manner, and so preserve her feathers from wetting. At the first beginning of calling her, I hope your understanding will advise you to have 
her in cranes, wherewith, if she would check, she shall be prevented, and wherewith she shall be stayed if she offer to drag or carry the catch. For the want of love to her former keeper could not but breed these as well as other ill conditions. But I hope your gentle using and manning her, before you did ever show catch or lure, hath freed her from these. And now your kind dealing with your hawk, feeding her so from thy hand unto the catch, will give her such contentment that never met with such content before, as that I am persuaded she will be made thereby more truly loving unto thee than a hawk shall be made, bought from the cage. I pray, let us admit that she was a good-conditioned hawk once, and would come to the fist very familiarly. How should she then lose this by her keeper's negligence, being not often or seldom called, and then upon her coming slightly rewarded, supposing if he should give her any meat, it would hinder her well flying, which might fall out to be presently, but such rewarded as would please her, would work no such ill effect. And now thou hast her most readily coming to the catch, if thou wilt handle her with no better respect, but only caring how for that present to get her to your fist, and thereby please yourself, and not at all her. She will be wary of it, and such usage and fall to her old trade, which, being handled as I have directed, I would not doubt but to put her up amongst hens, when at any hour in the day she should leave them all for love of me, and the catch, which asketh no longer time than throwing it out, which I would use her unto every hour, if I were not sure of my flight. And this I hope will suffice for this, but if you will have me grant that which I cannot yield unto, that having flown a partridge to a house, notwithstanding all these kind courses taken with her, she hath caught a hen, then let someone in the company that can tell how to do it make haste unto her, taking up both hawk and hen, and run to a pond or pit of water. There is no dwelling house inhabited, and where hens are, but you shall find some water. And therein too overhead and tail wash them both together three or four times. Then having the hawk upon the fist, let not her keeper show himself until he hath her. Hath her with lines fastened or calling cranes unto her. Then I would advise her keeper to give her his voice out of her sight, let the hawk to be still held, although she doth make a bait to go to him. He is to give his voice but once or twice, and that is where she seeth him not. After when he cometh near her, let him give her his voice cheerfully, and let her and cranes be let go to him. When he throweth out the catch and cranes, lest being wet, she should desire to fly to a tree to weather and dry herself. Her cranes forbid it. Now you must not think she hath committed a fault, for she hath done penance for it. And coming to you, she looketh to be much made of. Satisfy her expectations, giving her all the contentment you may. It is not possible there should be a hawk so ill, but by this means she will be recovered. It may be some young professor in this art has professed, that if his hawk be very hungry and sharp, she will the sooner come unto him. He is herein 
much deceived. For unless she loveth him very well, hunger is a special means that draweth her from him. For hunger must be satisfied, and her little love to him will make her the better pleased with that she provided for herself, and make her look out for her own provision. But if she be truly loving him, then there is no doubt but she would come the readier. Mark then, if this be not the only main point for an Austringer to have his hawk in love with him. There may be many that will never affect my doctrine, because my course here and set down is painful. But what is anything worth that is not easily gotten? But he is deceived that holdeth it painful. For his hawk once well made, she will not ask half the pains or attendance in the time of her flying as other hawks that are but half or half-made hawks must be followed with whensoever thou callest thy hawk give her some reward upon the catch and likewise please her upon the fist if i may be so bold without reprehension for my recreation to think of a more worthy delight i will rest thankful i will speak of the horseman and his horse the ostringer and his hawk always understand that i acknowledge the one to exceed the other as much as gold exceedeth dross but what i intend is this both horse and hawk are as they are taught if a horse prove hard mouth a runaway carry an unsteady head his neck awry or his body uneven nay sometimes he may and will refuse to turn of the one hand and some other time dislike some part of the ground wherein he is ridden, and there will fly out, or perhaps stop of his forefeet, without either rucking behind or advancing before, until after his stop, and other such vices, can it be said that that horse hath gotten such a fault or faults otherwise than through the unskillfulness of his rider, when the true artist is not only able to amend these faults, but in some parts to amend what nature hath made defective. The hawk is seldom seen to have any natural defect, and therefore asketh no such art. Neither do I question the shapes of horses or hawks, for in both kinds their shapes much differ. But what I write is for the manner of their making, for the ill shape of either of them cannot excuse their ill conditions. The worst you can say by a hawk for their shape is that she is a long and slender besom tailed hawk i say all feathers fly as horses of several races are of lighter quicker or duller disposition so are your hawks out of some country or eyrie of much more spirit and metal than the other and will last shorter or longer time in making but for their vicious making therein resteth the comparison if the hawk will not come or not abide company, or a stranger in the company, perhaps not a woman, a basket, a horse, or cart, or a royal or house, or any of these vices, can the ostringer have a less imputation laid upon him than the ill-ridden horse hath given his rider, which is, he was ignorant and wanted knowledge. Alas, simple ostringer, how shallow is thy art in respect of horsemanship, and so much the more art thou worthy of blame the excellent horseman will make and show his horse without any vice 
and so will take the exquisite Ostringer, show his hawk without any ill condition. In every trade wherein a man is most exercised, he is most excellent. Then strive and labor to exceed them in some measure that have little skill. For the ordinary handicraftsman passes by with less than ordinary or no respect. When the skillful is desired and much sought after, who understandeth not that the love of one hawk is more readily gotten than the love of another, and that is not so easy to get the love of a hawk that hath been dealt with and bobbed as to have it from a hawk that hath not been dealt with. And therefore in your practice have patience, and never think she doth well until she be wholly at your command. Thy pains will be answered with pleasure. Work out the week, and Sunday will be holy day. I will now proceed and examine what other ill quality a hawk may have. There is an excellent hawk, and will fly and kill a partridge very well, but she will carry it from her keeper when he cometh in. The Remedy End of chapter 2 Chapter 3 How to stay that hawk that having killed a partridge will very unwillingly suffer her keeper to come unto her, but will carry it. He was an unkind keeper and handled his hawk very ill. So to get her hatred, from whom but through love he could not hope to receive any good. Otherwise he was very unskillful to fly his hawk so wild and so ill-mannered. For one of these must be the cause. Then by working the contrary in her, she is faultless and will fly the better. If she will come well, then it is not merely out of the dislike of her keeper, and so much the sooner brought to good perfection, but it may be partly so, and partly wildness and ramishness, and there may be a third dislike, which stronglier possesses her than any of the other, which presently shall be delivered unto you. Before a hawk be truly manned and made gentle, she will never learn good or leave bad conditions. For so long as she is wild, she is altogether angry, forward, unruly, and disorderly. Therefore be sure to use such patience and gentleness as that she may understand thee. Then put her in cranes and set her upon some man's fist. Have a dead dove or some other fowl. It matters not all, though you stand not above twenty or thirty paces from her, giving your voice as though you would call her. Throw the fowl as far from you as you can, which when she hath in her foot and doth offer to carry, which the cranes forbid, then know that it is not wildness or ramishness. For before this, with carriage, in company thou hadst made her gentle, neither can it be that she feareth thee, for thou hast labored before this to a better purpose. If you have not, I have set down my directions in vain. If then you have so carefully manned her, as that she neither fears you nor is in fear of any man else, yet it is fear that causeth this not fearing thee, but she feareth a quarry shall be taken from her by thee, and she would be glad to give herself a better reward thereupon than you will allow of, and the small rewards you have given her, when you have taken her from the quarry, hath bred this fault. But this fault showeth the hawk hath metal and spirit enough. 
Well, now that she is upon the catch, and so long as she stands still, fearing she know not what, stand you still, not offering to go nearer than you are, until she shall be busily pluming, holding the cranes fast, and continually giving her your voice. When she falls the plume, walk gently to her, still giving her your voice. And whereas her fear was the quarry should be taken from her, let her find altogether the contrary. Let her enjoy it, and take this course, whereby you shall soon win her favor, that at any other time she will not only give you leave, but lovingly expect your coming into her, having readiness for supper or breakfast, or at any or every time of the day such meat as is warm and good. Her taste is very good, although it cannot compare with her sight. Feed her therewith by little bits out of your hand. If she look at you for more for bearing what is in her foot, then do you for bear to give any more until she fall again to plume. Then give her your voice and feed her so again. If you will do thus, you shall find her look as earnestly at your hand for reward as a hungry spaniel will look for a crust when she will be so pleased with your voice as when she hath a partridge in her foot. She will diligently attend and stay your coming when I think hereby you are well taught how to use her. And now for this fault I may conclude and inquire what other fault may disgrace a hawk. She will carry it to a tree. End of chapter 3 Chapter 4 To Reclaim a Hawk That Will Carry a Partridge Into a Tree It is so lately set down how to stay a hawk and make her lovingly expect your coming into her as it is fresh in memory. Your hawk being brought to that pass, this fault will soon be left. I have approved it. So soon as your hawk has gone into the tree, get all the company to go under her, using as fearful noise as they can, showing hats and gloves, which will soon make her remove, but it may be to another tree. Follow her again with a like noise. There is no doubt but it will remove her. If not, they must use some more violent means, as striking the tree with sticks or throwing cudgels up. She may peradventure remove twice or thrice before she come to the ground. But so soon as she is come to the ground, whereof ye shall not have so great cause of joy, but she will joy more to hear your loving voice, which I would then have you freely and familiarly give. When she will soon understand, she shall enjoy what she hath with sweet content and quiet. End of chapter 4 Chapter 5 For a hawk that so soon as she hath caught a partridge will take and gorge herself upon it. The cause of a grief known, the disease is soon cured, and so it must be inquired how she came by this foul fault, and then it is soon remedied. I cannot understand it should be any otherwise than thus. At the first, when she has caught a partridge, and before you come unto her, had begun to feed, and peradventure feed so much as you feared, it would hinder your whole day's sport, and could not but move some passion in you, which should have dissembled. But it could not be with some impatience you take her from the quarry, not suffering her to eat any more, which now at the first she did fall into by chance, but now she hath found the sweet thereof, and the wrong you offered her in so sudden taking her up. 
will make her the next time more earnestly and with more haste to feed, remembering how she was taken from it before, lest she now be so served again. The best remedy is this. When she should fly to the next partridge and kill, if you come in unto her before she break, it may be she catch it near you at the retrove. Let her alone with it, and feed her with your hand. She is sitting upon it, as I taught you before. If by chance she happen of a bare place, be not discontented, but ply her with giving her meat from your hand, and let her eat in such abundance until she doth forbear to eat any more. It shall not be amiss when you have put on her lines to pine her down at length, and whether she hath it in a ditch, bush, or hedge, neither reward her nor any other hawk until you have her in the plain, and that will make them so soon as they have a partridge get out with it into the plain. Then if she bait upon the extraordinary occasion, she shall not go away gorged. You must not now be sparring of your labor, for if you spend three or four hours in thus feeding her, she will not be so long in feeding. Yet with a partridge in her foot, whereon, although she will not feed, she will be unwilling to part from, let her enjoy it, and be often offering her meat. When you find that she is careless of the quarry, take her to your fist. It may be in your first entering, you are too sparing in your reward. But howsoever she cometh by this, in following this practice but twice or thrice, you shall with kind handling her in her rewards, which should be much from the hand. You shall have her handle a partridge, as that you may at any time take a live partridge out of her foot to enter one withal. And thus I conclude for this, unless you will say she hath almost eaten the partridge before you come to her, I say let her eat, and feed her still with the most provocation you can. No doubt it will make her very choice how she feeds after she hath been so overfed, and after she hath been twice or thrice so dealt with take leisure. A hawk loveth her keeper very well. She will draw after him and come at his pleasure. She will, in her drawing, be still upon the head of the dogs. But when she hath killed it, will carry very foully. End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 How to use that hawk that will carry for fear of the dogs. I must herein suppose that she will draw after the dogs, or otherwise after her keeper. But so soon as she hath the partridge, as soon as the dogs come to her, she carrieth away the quarry. This can be but to the next hole to hide herself. But then if the dogs shall follow her thither, and thrust her out from thence, herein the hawk is not to be blamed but the spaniels, that better deserve a halter than a crust. It must, he thought, upon how she came to be thus fearful of the spaniels, it could not be in the field, because the falconer shall be at the retrieve, and then he is only to be blamed, that hath not taught his spaniels better. If by neither of these, then this must be gotten by very foul dogs in the covert, where if the spaniels be but a little hot in their sport, it teacheth the hawk more wit than knavery. For as I have partly said before, she will not be too hot upon the game for fear of them, but will trust to my help, and will tend it so, as that she will not lose it. 
so that I shall be sure to have it by my own catching. I reap this benefit by her fear, that she will not strike at the pheasant upon the ground, for if she should so do, it is great odds, but so she misseth it. And if it then bringeth, it is more odds, but it is clean lost. But if she tend it, and the dogs, as I have foresaid, it is great odds, but it goeth to the perch, from whence it is likely it will never fly, but by my hands is to be delivered to her. I do not, as I have seen some do, toss it up high, that thereby she shall catch it, and so fall among the dogs, which, as they say, doth embolden her upon the dogs. It must be there so, because she knoweth she is not able to carry it from them. But when she is in the field, and hath a lighter matter in her foot, it may then work a worse effect. In having field room, and sight whether to carry it in safety, she will remove. The discommodities that I have met with in having my hawk take a pheasant from perch, some I have before set down, in the seventh chapter, and this is another. Many times she hangeth on one side of the bow, in having fast hold upon the pheasant, and the pheasant upon the other. Whether your hawk receiveth hurt hereby, or no judge you, and the like mischief must needs befall, when a pheasant is tossed high into her, for when she catcheth it so high, she will not fall plumed down therewith, but will a little strive to show her strength, and in the pheasant hitting a bow, never so little, although the twig may be very little, if the hawk letteth it not go, she must needs hang as before. I desire not to make my hawk hot in the covert. My reasons before expressed may suffice, but these inconveniencies may advise other men how to deal in this case. But in my practice I am sure there is no inconvenience by carrying it into the plain, and there to serve her as I used my ramish hawk. I am well assured that thereby I make my hawk as truly to love me as a hawk can possibly love a man, and this benefit thou shalt find it work in thee hawk that will carry. It will make her so to love thee and to assure herself in thee, that if she doth carry a pigeon for fear of the dogs, yet hearing thy voice, she will be so confident and secure in thee, as she will stir no more, for she knows she shall have her reward with quietness. If your spaniels will not leave to follow her, but be more ready to beat her out of the country than otherwise, if you will not part from them, God send him sorrow that loveth it. End of chapter 6 Chapter 7 How to use a hawk that will carry a partridge into a tree and will not be driven to the ground, but there will assuredly eat it. There is no hawk trained as I have done mine, and as I have taught to use yours, will suffer such a vice to take hold of her, but I must not stand upon. If she had been thus or thus dealt with, this would never have been but now we must seek to amend it, and say she doth it neither for fear of man nor dog, but out of natural disposition and accustomed practice, let her be short-coped, so I would advise all short-winged hawks to be used. For the safety of thine own hands, it may be objected, how shall she then hold a pheasant? How have my hawks done that would hardly miss a pheasant, 
and all of them short-coped. I will now deliver a truth for the affirming whereof I am willing to take my oath. I had a tarsal of a goshawk that, one after another, let two pheasants slip out of his foot. I was thereat much perplexed. I found many of their feathers, but neither of their bodies. Standing with my hawk upon my fist, not knowing what to do, whether I should fly any more or no, the wood was large, but the growth of two or three years, as I stood still, a cock did spring very near me. My hawk did neither suddenly nor earnestly bait at him, yet when he did bait, I did let him fly, when he showed he never meant to catch it, but flew to mark, and I saw him dart up into a spear, I made haste into him. I did spring the pheasant just under him. He turned upon his stand, and then flew after, not losing any ground on him, but when he planed to fall, he caught him by the head, and did hang almost a yard from the ground. I came to him, laid him in the plane, and covered his body. So he had as much pleasure, as good as reward as I could give him, upon the head and neck. After this, I assure you, in all the time I kept him, and in the killing of very many pheasants, which then were very plentiful, he never made me a retrove, but would most assuredly have him by the head at the fall, when the pheasant would lie stretched out at length and never stir feather. If when I had drawn a covert, a pheasant had gone to perch, he would come and sit near him, but not in that tree. Put him out, he would take an order with him. He should never fall more, but when he had him by the head. It hath been said that he killed one old cock that had been beaten by an excellent goshawk of old Sir Robert Roth and Master Rainford's hawk. I could never meet with any pheasant that ever served me so, and I deliver upon this hearsay. Now your hawk is thus coped. Take a leather in all points fashioned like a bewit. Put it about her hand or talent, and then button it to her bewit, whereon her bell hangeth and it will so hold up her talent that she cannot at all grip with it. Then she cannot sit upon a bow, hold a partridge, and feed. For a plainer demonstration, make your leather in all points like your bewit. For the length that you must make fit to hold up her talent in such places as you shall see cause, I advise you make it not too short, lest it should hinder her trussing a partridge, and so be discomfited cut a little slit in the midst of it, or near the button, then the mist, as you do in the leather wherewith you couple your spaniels. And as you fasten that about the ring of your couples, so fasten that about the talent of your hawk. And so fastened, button it about the bowet, as you button the couples about the spaniel's neck. Herein you are satisfied. Let us now inquire for more ill properties. End of chapter 7 Chapter 8. How to Reclaim a Hawk That Will Neither Abide Horsemen, Strangers, Carts, Footmen, or Women, or Such Like. Let it be inquired how she came by this coyness, and why she would not endure all these, or any of these, as well as other hawks. There can be nothing said for it, but that she hath not been well and orderly manned. Then it should appear that well and orderly manning, them should make them familiarly endure these or any of these 
and so it will. But now it must be done by other means. You well understand the courses I have used in manning my hawks, which truly practiced upon them. There shall no ill condition follow them. But when a hawk is but half made, then she falls from bad to worse, but so she is harder by much to be reclaimed than she was at the beginning, and will ask more tendance and respective care to hold her well at the second making, and then a cast of hawks well made in their first handling. Before you begin to practice upon her, let her be watched and carried a day or two. When you have done so, if she have a good stomach, you may the sooner begin with her, and yet she may have a good stomach, but ramishness will suffer her to show it. But there is nothing to be done with such a hawk, until by watching and manning she be brought to patience, which done, begin thus. Find out some place where there is some great assembly, either at bowls or some such other exercise, and having her in cranes, set her upon some man's fist, and let her jump to a catch, and thereupon dandle the time with her. This must be done many days, and many times in the day. I would be near some market town, where upon a market day I would find some convenient place, where women with their baskets, horses with loads upon them, carts with their carriage, variety of colored horses and passengers by, in divers places, should come by her. There I would be sure to spend the whole day in playing with her, in such manner upon the catch. If you will ask me how long she will be in making familiar with all these things, I say you will never do it. If so soon as you have ended your practice, you go and set her down to grow wilder, and be the second day as ill as she was at the first. But in the continuance hereof, three or four days, and thy careful attendance over her day and night will greatly prevail with her. I would not doubt but to make such a hawk with my diligence and pain, using her as I have herein taught you, to sit upon the pelt in the marketplace, nor fearing nor caring for anything, assidua stilla faxum exuat, Hath not God made all creatures? Have not wild stags by watching and manning been driven like cattle upon the way? What is it that man cannot effect, if he will thereunto apply himself? If one day will not serve the turn, take two, if not two, then ten, and twenty more, but I would have my travel satisfied with a sweet conclusion. There is something else to be thought upon, and therefore I will proceed. End of chapter 8 Chapter 9 What course is to be taken with a hawk that hath flown a partridge will continually sit upon the ground at mark, and thereby is likely to beat out herself from her true flying by missing of many flights. A special care is to be had herein how you fly your hawk, which must be as the country is where you fly your hawk. As thus, if it be in the champion, then he must let her fly far from the partridges. There she cannot lose sight of them. And yet it may be she shall not see the fall so well, but being far from behind, if she be in strength and courage, 
shoot up to a tree, for she is more than a dull-spirited hawk, and I think there is not such a hawk will fly home a partridge, but she will stir or hunt for it if she be near at the fall, or soon learn to go to a tree, which I said before I would have you prevent, by flying far from the game, when she shall not be enticed by being near to them, to fall upon the ground. If this please you not, go hawk in the woodland, and make choice to fly at such partridges as will fly to a wood. Here your course must be, not as you did in the champion, but to fly as near them as may be, for fear if she should be far behind, she should lose sight of them. But being near, they then tempt her to fall into the wood upon the ground, and let her set and hunt until she be wearing of so doing. Be careful not to suffer a dog to go unto her. Neither let her hear your voice at all. At length she will find that there is no good to be gotten by walking, and then she will up to a tree. Now your own knowledge assureth you that out of the wood the partridges will not slick, and that putting your dogs into the wood you shall be sure to show her a flight. Wherewith, if she fall again, I would not without question, let her alone until she would wish she had her supper, if in the woodland you shall sometime make her draw after you, and serve her with the spaniels. It will do her good, but the general practice will very quickly work wit in her, and thus much for this, having a little spoken of it before. End of chapter 9 Chapter 10 that the tarsal is more prone to these ill conditions than the hawk, and how to reclaim him that will seek out for a dove-house, with which fault I never knew goshawk tainted. All of my proceeding and direction hath been wholly intended for the reclaiming and making the hawk, which is all one for the tarsal, who is to be practiced upon for such faults. In the same manner as in the goshawk, but there is one vile quality that I have heard a tarsal would often practice, wherewith I never yet knew goshawk tainted, and whereunto a tarsal would never fall, if he be handled in that form that I have set down. Some tarsal, after a haggardly or ramish disposition, will, will upon the missing of a flight not stay at mark your coming to serve him. Some other will sit fast until some stranger show himself and then he is gone. These qualities follow ill-manned hawks, as well as the tarsal. This is nothing but wildness. Want of true manning brought him unto this, and he is of this fault to be reformed, as is the hawk, by feeding often and many times in the day amongst the multitude of people and cranes upon a catch, where you must make a true practice with feeding him from the hand. It may be said, he will kill himself before he will be quiet in such an assembly. He must be then watched and carried, barefaced, until he be so gentle as that he will endure all company, and then upon the catch thou shalt make him so in love with thee, with thus using him upon it, as I have formerly set down, that he will endure all things whatsoever. I have heard, but I think it was more than truth, that a tarsal roiled from the mark, and was that night taken in a dove-house 
earnestly feeding upon a dove twenty miles from the place whence he was flown it is beyond all understanding that loving and knowing a dove house well as he did he should travel so far before he should find one should please him and this should be in a country that of my knowledge affordeth plenty of dovecotes but truth is such was his fault that upon every little discontent he would so please himself from which he is thus easily to be reclaimed but be sure by watching and manning he be made very gentle before you begin thus to practice and then call him and cranes to a catch as i have taught you to do a goshawk that will house feed him in the same manner and call him unto you find that he will come so soon as the catch is thrown out it may be a dove that he loveth so well but it is not much to the purpose what fowl it be although it be a lure well garnished for he will soon fall in love with anything wherewith he shall be so well pleased when he is brought to that pass he is truly in love with thee and the catch comes readily and will endure all company then use him to draw after thee all times of the day and take him down very often i would advise that in the evening he might be called near unto a dove house where some of purpose should show and stir the doves that if he went into the house one of your company rather than yourself might be quickly with him having in readiness prepared a box filled with beaten pepper and where he hath broken the dove strew the pepper abundantly and so have care so soon as he shall bear a new place that ye presently ply that place with strewing more pepper which will soon make him dislike such and so hope a diet and make him so much the more to love him who shall so hath so kindly used him i would show myself a little negligent and not with much haste to take him down when he were so near that he loveth so well for now you are so near him as you would quickly be with him to give unto him more than he would eat and thereby make him out of love with the dove house it may be said this is the next way to kill him no he will cast his gorge wherein there is no danger or cause of fear when a hawk casteth his gorge upon dislike of his meat for sometimes the lying of a bone awry will make him cast his meat or part of it but if a hawk casteth his gorge and the meat stinketh this is of another cause and he is then sick his stomach cannot digest what nature desireth and so the continuing thereof with the desire to put it over and cannot putrefieth the meat and stinketh and maketh that hawk in a desperate estate your serving your tarsal thus shall not affect any such matter but he will find a difference between such a distasteful supper and a sweet pleasing breakfast which i would advise should the next morning be given in cranes where the sweet hand and kind dealing with him upon the catch will stay him or any hawk from roiling when he is thus made keep him so and that must be with continual familiarity if i thought a hawk so gentle and familiar could be drawn by any means from her keeper 
that I would set down another course, which although you shall never have need of, I will set down. When he is at height of his familiarity, cut out of either wing three of his best flying feathers, and put to his heels a knocking pair of bells, and so train him when his want of power will hinder his desire to travel further. Then you may with ease follow him, and I would wish you would follow him so as he would not see it, but be continually thirty or forty score from him, and sometimes give him your voice. If you find him not inclined to hear you, which should be more strange to me than anything belonging to a hawk, if he be made gentle and in cranes well coming as aforesaid, then get one with you that may follow him, but never offer to take him down, but let him as near the tarsal as may be, who, when he the hawk removeth, by his voice he may give you knowledge thereof, when I would advise you to give him your voice, and call him, but would go no nearer unto him. When it groweth to that hour that you think he will remove no more, then let a live dove by him that is with him be thrown out in a pair of cranes, and so soon as he hath it, let him be bestowed upon his fist until he cometh home, where let him fast until you go to bed. Then for his supper give him a set of stones and knots. The number and size I will deliver hereafter with the prophets. The next morning carry him abroad with you an hour before you call him, then let him go at liberty. You have your friend, if you need be to follow him, whereof there shall be no need. Then let him see you kill and pull off the feathers of a pigeon, and before you call he will come so soon as you throw out the catch, and if he could speak, thank you. When you have made him such as you would have him, then put in his feathers again, which I hope were so carefully cut out and so well prepared in a book until you should have this use for them, that he may be better imped with his own feathers than it is possible to imp a hawk with any other of his own, and he will not fly one pin the worse. I cannot in my understanding think of any other fault that my hawk hath, therefore hereof I must of necessity leave further to speak, and so proceed with my cures, which follow in this third and last treaty. End of chapter 10 End of the second treaty 